Jenny Ray LaRue, this is going to be an incredible opportunity to hear from what I believe, and I shared this earlier today, to hear from what I believe is the next generation, the next transition of leadership in the United States. So Jenny Ray, thank you so much for joining us today live. And thank you guys for joining who are joining with us. Um, the comment section is gonna be open for questions and, uh, and any thoughts that you have. So please feel free to do that. If you know somebody who lives in California, you absolutely need to be sharing this right now on your social media with a friend, with a family member, because Jenny Ray is running for governor in the state of California, and she has some incredible wisdom that our nation is absolutely needing right now. So Jenny Ray, um, just a quick introduction. Thanks so much for being here. Please feel free to share who you are, where you are, and, um, and we'll go from there. Well, TJ, somebody earlier today when I was on a call with them from the press, they said, you sound so normal. Why are you in politics? It was almost like an accusation. So, so here I am. I, I don't make any claims to normalcy. It was what they said, not me. But I, I did grow up in a very normal family. I was the oldest of four kids, and we had a soccer van and all the things that were related to that. I was great in school. You know, got a graduated the top of my high school class. Got a degree in economics, and then went to have a very normal life. And and like you, I looked at banking. I looked at consulting. Um, um, and uh, my option for after I graduated from college was to shave my head and travel around the world for a year. So uh, it was an amazing experience. But that's actually where I fell in love with business was on that trip. And um, also, I know that many of you that are listening are believers, even if you're not. I, it still happened. I also got baptized in the Holy Spirit on that trip around the world. And, um, and, and at the end of that trip is really where the, the first, what I would call it, earthquake in my life happened, which is uh, a lot of the ways that I know that God is speaking to me is when he it tells me things that I wouldn't think myself. They're either convicting or correcting, um, you know, things that I kind of wouldn't acknowledge. And, and um, so I was planning to become a doctor. I thought that was the way that I could serve God by becoming a missionary doctor. And, um, and at the end of the trip, uh, God and I had a conversation. And he asked me three times if I wanted to be a doctor. And I, I promised him yes all three times because I really thought that was the right religious thing to do. And, um, and on the third time, I finally felt like we weren't going to end this conversation until I asked the second question, which was, uh, you know, are there any other options? And, and God said, what about business? And the thing that he said about business transformed my life from that point on and, and really actually continues that belief today. He said, business is the primary way I reveal my creativity on the earth. And I graduated from college as kind of like a mini socialist, an anti-business socialist who, uh, who like wanted to make money, but kind of didn't really love business. And I definitely didn't have God's perspective on it. And um, so for the first 20 years of my career, after I did that trip around the world, I pursued a business career. And that brought me to Bain uh, and consulting that took me from Bain into entrepreneurship. Um, I worked in South Africa on um, a number of different projects, but mostly related to microfinance and small business lending and creating a business-friendly culture and environment. Um, and then ultimately, I drove my tiny Honda with everything I owned in the back of it out to California uh, 14 years ago. And I came out here to build the California dream. And that's really where my adventures in California began. That is one of the most succinct summaries of a very action-packed life that I've heard. You've done that so well. You must have shared that a few times by now. <laughs> I've shared it a couple of times. I didn't even throw in some of the good stuff. You'll have to figure out and figure some of that later. 
Well, let me let me just touch on a couple of things. And guys, just if you're joining right now, I'm hosting Jenny Rayler, who's host who's running for governor of California. And just just very quickly, um, I shared this earlier with everybody, but the Lord's been speaking to me. Uh, and similarly, you know, Jenny sharing some Jenny Ray sharing some of her her stories about how God's kind of led her on her journey. And the Lord's been speaking to me recently as He's been leading me on my journey and and sharing, hey TJ, there's going to be a transition of leadership in our nation, and it's going to come from unexpected places and people who need to step up, who I've called to step up, who haven't been in those positions before, who people aren't expecting to step up or to show up, and they're going to be exactly what our nation needs. And you came to mind as we were um, thinking about, you know, who could we really like, this is, this is sort of a, a platform of sorts, right? You know, and mm -hmm. we all have a platform, we all have a voice yeah. and you were talking about the privilege of being able to represent voices and have a yeah. voice in the role that you're, that you're in right now. And, and, you know, in many ways, we all each have our own responsibility. And I, I was just thinking about it. I was like, we need to use what we have, which is this voice to bring on the voices that are going to be leading that uh, we need to be leading and and in this in this time of transition that i really see happening you know you came front and center for sure and so i'm just grateful that you're here and are able to share today but the the first thing that you said and we were even talking about it before uh before we hit record was um you know just i was asking hey you know are there in, is there anything that uh, that is that is like come up for you as you're on this journey and you're like uh, and we were talking about just even your story and what you'd like to share what you'd be open to share and what you wouldn't be and and uh and you made a comment about social media and it, and it tied in perfectly with what you said initially about somebody saying you're so normal can you tell me exactly what you said before we hit record about the social media and what the lord spoke to you yeah, sure. So, right, part of the political process is you hire people who have done politics before, and some of their job is to figure out where all of the landmines are in your life. And um, and so, you know, somebody kind of advised me when I was about to run for office. And by the way, this is a long journey. Uh, TJ, I want to share a little bit about that as well. But, um, but, but you know, when I was getting very close to uh, making my decision public, they said, hey, you really need to go back through all of your social media and make sure there's nothing uncanny, you know, not any red solo cup pictures of you in a basement when you were in some kind of other environment. And I, I stayed awake late at night for a couple of nights, you know, going through my social media and kind of looking for this stuff. And, and it was honestly pretty vanilla. It was like my kids and, you know, me in a really pretty place in Peru. It wasn't anything that was, that was like that. But, um, but finally on the, maybe the third day, uh, the Lord just said, if you remove it, did, does it mean that it didn't happen? Right? And it was just kind of this clarity moment for me that I think a lot of people spend their whole lives chasing an illusion of themselves instead of just owning what they have or haven't done, really being frank about mistakes that they've, uh, that they've made. And look, I think we all should highlight the things that have gone well for us. It's part of carrying the testimony. It's part of, you know, reviving the things that are dead and not reflecting on, on the dead man um, that is who we were before. But ultimately, you know, I wasn't trying to create and edit out a life that was uh, it, you know, that existed before. I just was like, if something comes up and somebody wants to attack me, which I actually have come to now expect and actually treat it as a sign of 
blessing. I'm like, if somebody's attacking me, it means I'm doing something right. Uh, then, then I need to have a different attitude toward my past and I can't be afraid of it. So I felt like it was just part of the Lord coaching me on how we own the things that we've done and what we need to do with that going forward. So I am thoughtful about what I put on social media. I always have been, but it wasn't time to freak out about it or think about how people would use it against me. If I said it, I said it. If I did it, I did it. And that was just as clear as it needed to be. Yeah. Unbelievable, like revelation in that moment. And the other thing is, and, and you said this, and I want to highlight this too. You didn't say it now, but you said it earlier. You said, you know, there were things that I've shared that I believe and beliefs can change over time. It was something okay. to that effect, right? Totally. And, yeah. and I think it's the, it's the definition of, of grace, right? It's, it's, I am where I am and God's more concerned with the person I'm becoming than who I've been. And okay. And it sounds like there's just that focus, that laser focus. This is the person I'm becoming. This is the person God's made me to be. And I want to become more and more like that every single day in his original design for me. And I also understand I've said, I've done things, and I probably will continue to, not intentionally, that are maybe not as exactly aligned with that. And so I think that that message for people is super, super important. I want you to share very quickly about that journey leading up to a decision to run for governor um, and, and guys, just like as a reference point, I was literally looking up governor because I was thinking to my head in my head, I was like, you know, what's a word that would maybe resonate with people? Governor feels distant sometimes, you know, it's sure. like you sit somewhere. CEO of a state is like it's so for somebody who's business minded. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's the CEO of the state. That makes so much sense to me. Um, it is. So, t yeah. So tell me about that journey of deciding to to run for or, or you know, office, which is essentially CEO of the state of California. Mm -hmm. Well, so I mentioned already, there's a career piece to it. And, um, you know, I, let, me, let me just acknowledge, this was not in my plan. This was not a part of my bucket list. And I have not been accruing experience to prepare me to become the governor of California. But it does look actually pretty neat and tidy when you look backwards. I have a MBA from Columbia Business School. I went to Bain Consulting and got amazing training there, worked on 11 different projects. Most of them were growth focused, and I really became a growth expert. I left Bain and built two startups, one in energy and one in payments technology. Um, and then 10 years ago, I bought a company. So I've been a business owner. I've been in corporate. I've advised organizations the size of the state of California. I know how to do the analytics. I understand what my advisors are telling me. And a lot of the things that you would hope for a CEO to have, I've had that frontline experience, I've had the advisory experience, and I've also, you know, been a business owner kind of down in the trenches. And, and so as a, as a leader, I've had that experience, but it wasn't ever in my vision. My vision was to work hard and fast and retire early, right? And, um, and I, I, when I say retire, I don't mean stop working, I just mean become financially free. And so my husband and I actually did that in my um, late 30s, we achieved that for ourselves, which was a real gift. And we started to transition to think about what our next season of life was going to look like. And usually what that means is that you move from an advisor to an operator to an investor, right? That's kind of your next stage of life is that you use the capital that you've accumulated and you become a participant in other people's dreams. And maybe you buy another company or you do something else. And that was my, my certain plan for myself. Um, but, but the Lord started to speak to me. And, and actually the first thing that he said that was like that second earthquake, um, he just said something very simple. He said, I love government, but I hate politics. I love government, but I hate politics. Wow. And I, and I was like, 
ourselves, you know, <laughs> right? It was kind of one of those things that was so out of the blue. It wasn't me. It, it was it was super clear that it was something different, but it was it was like this holy invitation to understand the Lord's perspective on government. And um, so I began to uh, to pray through that. And then there were words that God started to give me. The first one was in 2017, uh, right at the beginning of um, Trump's presidency. Um, and the Lord said nothing about Trump. He just said, how would you lead if you took office? And there was a minority behind you. There was a majority against you and a minority behind you. And I thought he meant in a hostile takeover for in the private sector, right? I thought that he meant in this kind of CEO leadership position. Of course, it makes all the sense in the world because I'm in California. Uh, I'm a Republican in California and the majority is not with me. But, but still, like, what would that look like? So I began to ponder a question of good leadership in a hostile environment, right? And so I answered that question. I, I would honor my opponents. I would point out the things that they did poorly, but I wouldn't trash them. I would make sure that what I did was good for everybody, not just the people who put me in power. I would lead for everyone, right? There were, there were answers to that question that began to shape a new leadership style in me. And out of that, what came were really two core values, hope and generosity. And I believed that if you lead with a belief that anything is possible and a belief that there's more than enough, then we don't go into that attack mode that we're seeing in politics so often where your job is just to rip down other people as fast as you can. But it's a race to see who can build the fastest, right? And, and that kind of leadership is, I think, what we're actually really longing for to see in our government today. And so I became excited and passionate about, about seeing that kind of leadership. And so um, it, it did not dawn on me at this point that God was calling me to this. I just thought, I can pray. Like, I can pray for this. And I would really acknowledge that uh, I'm a Republican. I would, I would pretty much put myself in the middle um, politically, as I think a lot of people would. They would say, like, I'm not really like that, and I'm not really like that. Um, but But... Ultimately, you know, my values are conservative, my fiscal beliefs are conservative, um, I, I fit inside the Republican Party, but sometimes the messaging and the attacks and like the other pieces of Republicanism, I didn't really identify with. And so, um, so I began to just ask, like, where is the middle? Where is that silent middle that, that doesn't really participate in doing things? And how do they express themselves? And where do they go? And what kind of leadership are they looking for? And, and what you understand as you get closer into government is that um, the middle actually swings everything, right? The middle is who gets people elected. Um, but the middle does not participate early. The middle doesn't give money. The middle doesn't show up to, as activists to events. And that's also, I think, really important if you're an American living in our country right now and trying to understand what the heck has gone wrong in politics. It's that all of these people that have great ideas have left the building. And so um, I had to reverse a curse that I had put over myself for a really long time. And that actually, um, you know, came from a dining room discussion with my dad when I was in high school. And we, we said it more than once, but it was, it was this line, good people don't go into government. Good people don't go into government. Wow. And, um, and if you've ever thought that, like, I get it, right? And you look at what's going on in government today, and I think it's pretty easy to be like, yeah, we're not far off from that. Here's the problem, right? If good people don't go into government, who does? 
And, and I, I had totally missed out on that. And, and the design of government is not meant to be a career. It's meant to be an act of public service by people who have a stake in the game, who have kids in the system, who have a business to, to run, who own land, and to, who have, want to vision the future. And so I, I just became incredibly passionate about finding those people. I was like, where are they? I will support them. I will do what I can to become involved. Um, and and I, I felt like it just painted for me a dangerous target on me. So at the beginning of March in 2020, um, the Lord spoke specifically. He said, follow everything Gavin Newsom is doing and think about what you'd do if you were in this place. And I took that as a call to prayer. I thought that that meant, um, you know, it's you can be rude about somebody if you don't understand their job, if you don't understand the responsibility that they carry, if you don't understand. And if, if, certainly if you have no better ideas, it, then you kind of should just sit down and sideline yourself. And so I pursued understanding of the governorship of California so that I could pray effectively for Gavin Newsom. And I have remained faithful in prayer for him because I want good leadership in this state. And he is our current leader. And um, my family and I have even driven around his neighborhood and prayed over his home and prayed over his family and, and you know, prayed a blessing over him because uh, we really believe um, that he's called to something amazing. Unfortunately, I just don't think that he's very good at being the governor of California. And, and so, you know, as I was pursuing understanding, I was reading the budget of the state. And that's not something I advise anybody to do. Um, it's a very long budget. It's very complicated. It is not a particularly sexy read, although TJ, you did say that you like to read things that you, um, you know, otherwise ha haven't followed. Um, and, and I just began to, to like pray and um, and read the budget. I developed my own plan for COVID because this started in March of 2020. And so in April of 2020, when Newsom closed schools and it wasn't what I would have done, I, I felt accountable to actually build my own plan for what I would do instead. And um, so I built a, a data model. I stayed up until three in the morning and I scraped a bunch of websites and I pulled data into it and I, I created a model and I identified my metric for management, which would have been ICU capacity. His was always case numbers. And, you know, as, as you know from business, if you have the wrong metric, you can run an organization into the ground super quickly. Well, here we are two years later, we've lost 1% of our population in California. And, um, and so, you know, I, I began that exploration really just to say, you asked me to be succinct and I have not followed that line, but, but, um, but, but I, I began the exploration as a desire to understand God's heart for government and then to understand how I could be a place in that. And I just figured that as a business person and as an owner of a business and as a mom and with the farm that we have, that I had plenty of responsibility already on my plate. Um, but, but what I didn't recognize is that the Lord was giving me a heart so that he could bring heart into the government of California. And, um, and so it, he began to nudge me. Um, I, I went on a visit down to Sacramento and stood outside the gates of the governor's mansion, which is currently unoccupied. Gavin Newsom doesn't live there. Um, and the Lord spoke to me a little bit about Newsom. And then he, he said afterwards, what would you do with this house? And I got in the car after having a conversation with God. And I, I looked at my husband and I said, I think God's, I don't, I don't know, right? You know, I'm going to need verification on this, but I think there may be something there about the governor of California. I was like, don't worry. It's not soon. <laughs> uh, 10 years or 20 years from now, but like, will you pray about it? And and usually when I give my husband that kind of assignment, like we just never talk about it again, right? Because he didn't want me to become the governor of California any more than I wanted to become the governor of California. But um, but six weeks later, to his credit, we were sitting in Texas um, and, uh, and, and he looks at me from across a hot tub and he says, I'm in. 
I'm in, I'm behind you. And I said, what are you in for? And he said, the answer is yes. I was like, what is the question, right? Like this has been weeks since we talked about the last time. And he said, we need good people in office. If you want to run, I'm with you. And, um, and that really actually began a fervent prayer journey and where it accumulated um, and where it, where it kind of, you know, came to a, a crux was in February of 2021. Um, and the Lord gave me two things in that month. He gave me a revelation over what the, uh, the, the principalities or the culture war is in California. Um, and what he, what he said was that the, um, the ruling principalities are, uh, and he said specifically captains, um, are fear and grief over the state. I said, what's the general? And it took about 10 more days of early morning listening about 5 a.m. Um, and, and the Lord said, corruption. And I said, oh, good. I'm going to go after corruption. And, and he, he said, no, you won't. I, I was like, I'm not, really, I'm not really sure why I wouldn't go after corruption. If corruption exists, why wouldn't I go after corruption? He said, because uh, if your assignment is to fear and greed, if you release hope and generosity, my two core values, Right. If you release hope and generosity of people who are hopeful and generous can't be corrupted. And so it, it broke down for me an understanding of the keys to California. The keys to California are that our current leadership are ruling under the guise of fear and greed. Right. And greed is basically a belief that there's not enough for everybody. So we have to steal from one another. And fear is the belief that there that, that everyone is your enemy. And, um, and neither one of those are true in the kingdom. And so I was like, well, what does it look like to be different than that? And again, I'm coming at this with a very fresh perspective. I'm not so naive because I've led cultural transformation before, and I understand a battle when I see one. And then this is, is a battle, if not a war, this is a war of a generation over California right now. And, um, and so, but it's very clear the war isn't against people. It's not against parties. That's what we've been missing. We keep thinking that our enemy is a party or a person. Our enemy is not that. Our enemy is, is a, a cultural belief system right. that some people would call a, a, a stronghold in the mm -hmm. spirit realm. Um, and, and that's where our fight needs to take place. And so our weapons are hope and generosity. And our campaign pours into that. And we are generous beyond measure. What does that look like? Well, we can't necessarily be financially generous. We have campaign rules that we follow up with, but we share our email list. We give people ideas. We offer to help them in ways that is beneficial to them, not only beneficial to us. Uh, these are things that you don't see very often in government or politics, and, and it's part of transforming the culture. Um, but really, the final moment, the decision was made for me when um, uh, on February 28th, and the Lord had told me, I'll know in February. So true to his word, right on the last day, February 28th, 2021, um, I cried out to God and I said, you know, um, if you ask me to do this, like you've been leading me into this, if you ask me to do this, I'm going to lose everything. Like, and, and the, you know, the Lord has been faithful to our family. The, the things that we have, our farm, I had a dream about on my 30th birthday, our business, um, I went to bed one night planning to quit. I woke up the next morning and felt like I, I, it was a thought. I think it was a God thought that was like, buy the business from this guy. Like our, our blessing has come from being obedient to things that God's asked us to do before. And so I thought, like, if you ask me to do this, everything you've given me is in peril. Um, and, and you know what he responded? He said, you will. You will. Wow. Um, and, uh, and what I, I responded like, what, you know, and, and he said, that's what it takes to become a public servant. Mm -hmm. 
And so it was then that I had a choice to make, right? I, this is not a career move for me. This is not a shift toward anything else. This is an act of surrender. Like I have never surrendered anything in my life. And it's me saying, okay, if you gave me the skills, the ability and the experience to do this, which I do not recognize because I don't feel like my voice is the kind of voice that is in this space right now, but I will, I will be obedient. I'll walk into it and I'll do everything that I can with what I have. I'll pour my money, my time, I'll pour my leadership, I'll, I'll pour the people that I know um, into this and, and we'll give it everything that we've got. And, um, and that's really where the journey began. And um, I ran in the recall election last year. I raised about a million dollars. Um, I didn't win. Uh, Gavin Newsom is still our governor. And, and honestly, like afterwards, I was like, maybe I'll go build a different business. And I started to have this flourishing around um, classes that I was teaching on finances. Um, and God just, again, gave me a very specific direction. He said, do not charge anything for those classes and don't plan anything after the second week of January. And then again, in February this year, um, I had another conversation with the Lord. I was like, I don't really want to run again. Can I just help other people? Can I, can I do something else? Um, and, and the Lord just like threw a very long encounter. But the, the crux of it was he said, um, here's the problem. You're thinking about your political career. And I'm thinking about California, which one of us is right. And like, I didn't get into this for a political career in the first place. And that political thing gets on you pretty quickly. And people were like, hey, what about this strategy? If you run for this and then this, then you'll be in a great position and you'll have this fundraising base and you'll do X, Y, and Z. And I was just like, hey, I didn't get into this based on, based on strategy. I didn't get into this based on, you know, picking the perfect time. I'm in a battle that I didn't choose that I don't really want to be a part of, but I'm, I'll fight because I've been prepared to fight and I'll fight for our kids. I'll fight for our future. I'll fight in this moment. If this is my moment and I'll do it, I'll do it with the same kind of surrender that I've done the rest of my life. And so um, that's why I'm running. That's why my message is very simple. It's time for California to dream again. Um, the, The message is one of solutions. Every problem I draw closer to in the state, I'm convinced Um, As I talk to the experts that are closest to the issues, that there are solutions, but we lack the leadership and the political will to get us to where we need to go. Um, And and our future is remarkable. I can see it. Everybody can't yet, but I can see it. I can see with a vision what it looks like to have more than enough water, plenty of businesses, thriving communities, um, and and all of the other reasons that I love California, like the incredible nature that we have. Um, I can see that in the future, but I think now is just my moment to build that for everyone else. Wow. Okay. We voted for you in the recall, but, uh, like there's another level right now. Yeah. (laughs) And when I say that, let me, let me, let me preface this. Let me preface this. The very first question I had written down, the very first question was very simple and you've answered it, but it was, what's your motivation? Mm -hmm. What's your motivation? And that is a very simple question for people, but you can, and, and we, we talked before, again, back to the conversation beforehand. And you said, you know, what's a, what was, what was something that resonated with the audience before? And I said, Hey, it was this episode and it was because it was just real. Yeah. And when you share, and I asked the question, for example, when I asked the question, and if you guys are just joining now, Jenny Ray LaRue is running for governor of California. If you guys live in California, if you know somebody in California, please go ahead and share this on your social media. You need to let people know not just who she is, but what she stands for. Woman of God, she's got agreement with her family. 
and she is living a surrendered life, which is honestly, that's what I would summarize what you just said. Like yeah. you're living a surrendered life and this is not about office. This is not, a, not even about, frankly, it's not about California. It's about no. what God's asked you to do. And to yeah. me, to me, there is no higher motivation. There is no better motivation um, because frankly, from what I'm hearing, you actually have every reason to not to not run. Like you have every yeah. reason to, to live in the comfort of not running because frankly, it's yeah. uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. so uncomfortable. I can it's, believe um, that. It's so uncomfortable. It's it, it's literally like treating everything that everyone else dreams about and that I dreamed about for, for one question, which is, would you rather camp out where God has brought you or do you want to keep going where he's going, right? And like that trade, I said yes to God in the fourth grade, 31 years ago, last week on Monday, Thursday is when I said yes to God. And I told him I would never take my yes back. But the temptation of camping in a place where the Lord has brought you is very real. Um, and that place for me was like a very happy place, right? A, a private farm, my kids around me, no attacks on our life, on our, on our like business. Um, a place of authority over people, the ability to serve, the ability to give, like kind of all the things that I feel like you speak about. And if you read the Psalms, the, the happy ones, you know, not all of them are happy, but like the ones that are like, you know, about the flourishing of the Lord and the, your children around you. It's like, those are, the, that was the moment that we were living in. But, but really like, um, you know, the Lord's presence in my life, uh, like, like after I said that, yes, last year in 2021, um, the presence of God came so tangibly in our house um, that, that like, I've only ever felt that once, uh, uh, one other time in my life. And it was the week that I got engaged, but it was like, uh, it was just like this blanket of peace. Right. Um, and, and I think if you have if you're entering a war, what better tool to have than a blanket of peace? Um, but but I want to just highlight one thing, TJ, because this is something that God, I really had to make sure that I was clear about, that um, I don't get credit for my initial obedience. Like, um, you know, you can say yes, and there's that that boldness in that moment, and people can be like, great job. You said yes. Like, I, I, I get credit for walking with him. For, um, for, for doing this with him and the challenges get larger and the impact is broader. And, um, you know, I'm going into a convention this weekend where now I'm in the top two candidates to be on the ballot. Like I wasn't really ever in that position last year when I ran, but there are millions of people who now know my name in the state of California who now know what I stand for, at least five words. You know, most people can handle five words about somebody in government or politics. Um, that, that new level of visibility comes with a new level of responsibility. And, and I think this is what I didn't understand when I pursued what I thought was the American dream. It's that the American dream is an idol of irresponsibility. Right? What, what we try to do is get to a place where we, are, are, where we have no accountability or responsibility to anyone. Like that's what early retirement means to most people. And, um, and actually, I think that what God is doing on the earth is taking people who have said yes over and over and over again to increasing responsibility. And, um, and now, like, I read the parable of the talents, and I'm like, oh, man, they probably weren't celebrating the way that we think about celebrating when, when God gave them authority over 10 cities, right? Like, that's a whole heck of a lot of responsibility. And, um, but now I understand it differently. I understand that the favor of God looks 
different than the American Idol version of that. And I wow. Think so the American do. dream is an idol of irresponsibility. Like, wow. <laughs> I'm hold on a second. I just have to process that. And if anybody's watching, like they can see my head just kind of like doing the I need to I need to sit with that thought for a while. If you're listening, you don't see me, but it's like that thought right there. So powerful. Now here's what's really interesting is I talk a lot about the idea of, of over of over responsibility. Now here's what's mm -hmm. very interesting, okay? Is that you know, a lot of how injustice is being fought is from that place of over-responsibility, which is false yeah. self-righteousness. Yeah. And then at the other end of it is this American dream ideology thought um, vision, frankly, that is the idol of irresponsibility. So you have these two sides that are kind of at war with one another. In other words, on one side, you have people who essentially, for lack of better words, want the position of leadership, want yeah. the power, want the you name what. And then you have other people who don't want any of it. And then you have the people like yourself who are saying, hold on a second, I'm surrendered to what God's doing and I don't want it, but I'll do it. Yeah. I don't want it, but I'll do it. Lord, if you say that this is how we're going to do this, then I'm with you. And those people, that surrendered life, that that frankly, that's what that is, that surrendered life that you're talking about, that is unconventional leadership. And if I summarize everything that you've shared so far about not just the vision for California, not just your process for how you even got there to the decision to run for governor of California, uh, not just you know what you've shared anecdotally around you know your own personal thoughts on that journey, it is summarized to me as unconventional leadership, which is why, back to the beginning of our conversation, that person who said something to you earlier today about, hey, well, this is unusual. You're running for governor. You seem like a normal person. I get <laughs> why they're saying that, right? That's right? called unconventional exactly. leadership. I don't really desire this. I don't. Yeah. But I'm doing it not because I have some ax to grind for my own value and worth as a person. But right. I actually find my value and worth as a daughter of God, understanding how he sees me and what he's asked me to do. And that's more important. And I'm willing to lay down in agreement. This is the other part that's wild that we could touch on for probably another three hours in agreement with my husband. That's a crazy yeah. thought because a lot of people <laughs> don't understand the value of that. In agreement with my husband. We yeah. as a family, it's not just Jenny Ray LaRue. This is yeah. the this is the thing that's so powerful. It's not just you, it is you with God in agreement with your family. To me, there is no question. I wrote on an email out to people just right before the live stream. I said, Is she going to be the new governor of California? Question mark. I already know the answer. I already know the answer by the grace of God. By the grace of God, it is you who are made to be in a position of leadership in this time that we need people who don't necessarily aspire for that position of leadership. It's not that you can't do it. It's not that you won't do it. Obviously you will, but it's yeah. the idea that you don't have this worth to find. Yeah. You don't have this thing to discover. I was already there. It okay. was already there. You have it. And you say, you know what? I'm willing. I'm willing to give what I have. And that is literally the, def the definition of public service. That is how it's designed. God's design for government. I was thinking about judges before this mm -hmm. whole conversation. Yeah. That's exactly what came to me. Deborah appointed to be a judge. Like the idea of, of, of God bringing 
a governor to his people, there's a design for government in his mind. And like you said earlier, I want to come back to this because I think it's a very important distinction. You know, his design is I love government, but I hate politics. So that's not in his design. That's that's what you heard from the Lord earlier, if I remember that correctly. So what I want to know is just like if you could kind of share a little bit more about what you've discovered as you've been on this journey the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, the first is, um, so so politics is rooted in those same issues that I talked about that are over California, fear and greed, right? So everybody, if you're worried about your political career, anybody who holds any other office at any stage in their political career could be a threat to you. And so instead of working to support other people and being like, wow, you want to lead? Amazing. We need other great leaders. Most people are like, hmm, suspicion and... And, and tearing down is the natural way that people relate to one another in this space. And so um, other people find it very shocking to me. Like I went, I went up in front of a group uh, two weeks ago. And when I spoke at the beginning, um, I said, I just, I'm so grateful to have five minutes to speak. I just want you to know, like, give all of your money to this other person who this thing is about, right? Like this, this event is for her. I want you to honor her with your gift. And that wasn't my job in the event, but it's what I believe. I believe that there's more than enough money to fund candidates all over the state. There are more than enough donors. There's more than enough staff. Like, like there's more than enough of everything. And, um, and so I believe in generosity. And what we see in politics is that, like, if people don't believe in that, then they start to find ways to erode their influence, and they view other people instead of um, it, it through their own lens of their core values. They view them as tools in a political game of pawnmanship. And and again, I just want to highlight that some people would call my belief about that naive, but it's not. It's actually long-range thinking because when you invest in other people um, generously, then you do build alliances, but it's not based on tit for tat, which is very fragile. It's based on authentic belief that somebody can do extremely well. And um, so just a quick highlight about what the role of the governor is in California. So the governor has really five tools of management. One is the budget. And so the budget requires that everything that is in the budget, the governor initiates. Right. So the governor is the one who speaks on the kind of key high levels. Now, then the legislature comes back and it's like change everything. And then you have a lot of negotiations that go back and forth. But ultimately, if it's in the budget, the budget, the, the, the governor approves it. The priorities are set by the governor. And so is there a negotiation? Absolutely. But is the governor kind of in, in that role and responsibility? Sure. So priorities of funding are set by the governor. The second one is appointments. Right. And so I have hundreds of appointments into the judiciary, but also into the like massive administrative state. The unelected bureaucrats of California are under the office of the governor. And um, and so, again, it's an opportunity to impart a different kind of culture into really, you know, an organization with about 80,000 employees. It's massive. Um, And then you also have things like executive orders which are are very few and far between, the veto, and then really finally the message. And so when people are voting, I think that they sometimes think that they're voting for a governor that's going to do one thing or another, but it's a very complex job. Um, And if you think about how to do that with politics, um, I think that if people are honest with one another about what 
you want to get done, we're going to get some things done that haven't gotten done before. And there are going to be other things that I am not going to let get done because I'm not going to trade them because I'm not trying to politic my way through. I'm trying to govern a state, right? And so, um, so that trading and that like backroom negotiation and kind of that whole process um, is I think what a lot of people have seen because when politicians come out from the back room, they make excuses. They don't make progress. They don't get things done. And some of government should be getting less done than we've had done before. We have way too many laws passed today in California. Every business is just swimming in new laws. They can't even keep up with the old ones. Um, so, so, you know, new laws really do have to be weighed appropriately. But that, that trend toward those excuses instead of toward the truth, I think, is part of what has made people really tired of what's going on in government and what we need to restore the faith in for the people of California and beyond. Wow. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I could spend all this time because there's, I, I thought about all the questions, you know, of course there's, there's a number of questions. I live in California. I lived in Manhattan before this. I lived in Virginia my whole life up until moving to Manhattan for seven years. Yeah. And, um, and so we have that. I did, not, Virginia, I did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Virginia commonality. Um, but you know, being out here in California, um, there's a number of things that I think I, I personally could ask around, you know, what's your stance on this? What makes the, the qualification of somebody to do that and the other? But frankly, there's absolutely nothing more important to me than somebody who has insight to see beyond the superficial, mm -hmm. to see beyond the, the things that we'd read about in a headline, um, to actually understand their motivation and to understand that they actually have more to lose by doing this than they do to gain. And, um, and actually, maybe that's not fair actually, to say. I would say. No, no, I would say that, TJ, right now, the currency of, of California's government under our leadership is that if you do something, you're probably doing it wrong. So they are rewarded for doing as little as possible. I think that that is a very mm -hmm. accurate statement. And, and mm -hmm. you can see it across the board in different organizations. There's committees that are formed for a year and a half, they have no bylaws and no purpose. They'll spend a million and a half dollars staffing up an office with no objective. Like these things you have not seen anywhere else in your career, right? Um, and so I think, you're, I think you're exactly right. I think you're pinpointing that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's one of the issues that we have and one of the reasons why these crises that are being kind of manifested all around us are happening because no one is encouraged to be bold and courageous to solve problems. And that's the, the, you know, just in reference to that, maybe quickly, I was going to say just, just very quickly, I think on the, on like the, in the natural, absolutely. In the supernatural, I was going to say, you have so much to gain by being obedient to God. That's what I was going to finish with. There's so like, there's everything, <laughs> there's everything to gain there. Yeah, but, that's also true. <laughs> and I know that um, in the natural, absolutely. What you said, a hundred percent, that's very interesting to know. I'm not surprised. Um, you know, for me, it's very interesting. I think we share a little bit around this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You can edit, modify, but um, for me, I was raised in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. I went to a math and science school for 12 years, very good school. My parents spent a lot of money on education, the money TJ? we did have. Say again? It wasn't TJ, was it? TJ no, went we, to TJ? we were a feeder school into TJ, actually, okay. but I, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a local high school in the area also yeah. happens to be named TJ. Um, and, uh, so I went to, I went to that school. I went to Nysmith that fed into TJ. 
um, mm -hmm. of which a lot of people went to UVA from there. Uh, yep. and I went, I went to Virginia tech and, uh, and then I, I went to New York and I worked at Goldman and, um, you know, then I left, God gave me peace. I left and, and had a, just a number of crises hit my life. But the long story short of that is you described those as earthquake moments. I think that's a very appropriate term. Um, but the long story short of that is to say, I grew up with the understanding that uh, I was I was adopted through Catholic charities. I was raised Catholic um, by religion. I didn't under have an understanding of a relationship with Jesus. I just didn't know what that was. Um, and you know, in my twenties, hungry for God, on that search, discovered that, encountered Jesus, a whole you know renewal of my mind, the whole thing. So, on that journey, I have discovered just how much um, deceit there can be in the quest for knowledge and information mm -hmm. and the idol of education, frankly, the idol mm -hmm. of education that leads you to think that more knowledge is more power, um, is more wisdom, which has nothing to do. Wisdom has nothing to do with more information. Um, knowledge is helpful but you can be wise without that knowledge that people are seeking through information. Yeah. And, um, and I've gone through this experience. I share all that to say my perspective on the world has absolutely done a 180 and uh, over the last 15 years. And as a result, my perspective on uh, policies, honestly, have also adapted, modified, changed, been updated, um, so to speak. And I see through a lot of the things that I used to agree with. I see through it um, because I came from a place where it was very much one way of thinking. It was very much one way of thinking. Uh, it was, it was um, you know, honestly judgmental towards anybody who didn't have an education. Let me just put it that way. If you're not educated, then I have a certain perspective of you and your thoughts really don't come to bar with my thoughts. That was how I was raised. I'm not saying that's how I, you know, desire to think. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that that is a subconscious thing that is embedded into the idol of education. I'm not saying education is bad either. However, what I've grown to understand is the importance of having wisdom and making decisions while taking in information, while seeking knowledge, um, asking the Lord for wisdom. Okay, how does that, like given that you went to UVA, you went to Columbia School of Business, right? Um, Columbia Business School, you you were at Bain, uh, which mm -hmm. is amazing. You know, you have this incredible resume. Yeah. Oftentimes there's a, there's a very one way of thinking approach that comes through a lot of those paths that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Totally. And so how do you kind of, um, what's your take on that? And how do you perceive like the overlay of wisdom on top of all of that, on top of that experience? Yeah. Um, well, that's part of, I think, why maybe I started my story with the shaving the head and the traveling around the world, because I think that probably the most meaningful things that I've learned have not been 
in the halls of high esteem, right? Um, and so the the traveling and the learning was was pretty incredible, pretty remarkable. And watching how people serve or um, what kind of shapes an economy, you know, in practice, not just in theory, I think was was pretty incredible. And it drove me to seek another level of understanding. But if you start with wisdom, the kind of understanding you seek is really different than if you're trying to puff up your understanding and knowledge. Um, you know, after I um, did some of the work in South Africa that I was doing before I went to Bain, I sailed across the Atlantic Ocean um, and I joined a crew having been on a sailboat for a total of two hours prior to that. And um, there's something really remarkable that you learn about silence in the middle of the, <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean when um, there's like just not a lot out there and, um, and you know, not a lot going on around you and uh, you, you don't feel, you feel particularly vulnerable, I think, and, and a sense of scope of the world that is, is a part of an experience like that and, you know, seeing places and doing things. Um, you know, then building companies, there's like, there's just a fortitude that is required of you when you are starting something um, that is super different than being in the structure of another person's environment. And so having to wake up in the morning and recognize um, what's happening has made me a seeker of wisdom. And um, maybe I can just share one or two pieces of wisdom. One of the best pieces of wisdom that I ever got was from a guy who owns a lot of real estate in Arizona. And I met with him and I asked him what his um, what his kind of like big takeaways were of why he was successful. And one of his rules for life was don't let a small problem become a big problem. Right? Like you don't read that in a textbook, but I'm sure that there's data everywhere that would validate it. But that was one of his management principles, was, right? Like if you have a leaky tap and you don't fix it, then somebody's going to have a reason to be upset with you and it could become a bigger thing. And and it was just this very small thing. And like he owns like commercial real estate, like a Home Depot would rent from him. He's a, he's a, he, he's not just like owning two houses and um, in Tucson, but that kind of wisdom, I think um, I've, I've come to understand. Um, the second piece is from my grandmother. This is her, her like investing advice, right? I was like, grandma, you've done well in your life. You're a good investor. Like, what do you do? And she was like, I buy stocks that I never want to sell. That's her, that's her rule for investing, right? I buy stocks that represent companies that offer products or services that people will continue to need and that are based on population growth, right? And so she buys like Johnson & Johnson in, you know, 1982, right? And she just holds it. And, um, and like my grandmother has a very clear way of thinking about what adds value financially to her portfolio, which is when she invests in companies that turn that into value through other things. Now, could you have done an entire class at Columbia Business School on that kind of investing? You could have like studied my grandmother's portfolio there probably, but, but it wasn't information, it was wisdom that unlocked that. And uh, what I've seen in leaders that are really good is that, yeah, like uh, information does transform. And and in my business, right, five years of leadership through new ideas did grow my business. But what really transforms is a transformation of culture. And I would call the kind of culture that you're talking about a culture of wisdom, right, where you focus on not everything but a couple of main things. And people understand what's expected of them, how they're meant to be unlocked and thriving and utilized and, and what we're all working toward. And um, if those kinds of 
objectives are met, then wisdom gets unlocked. And then we can see the kind of leadership and the kind of future that we're looking for. Absolutely. And just maybe a real practical, I love those pieces of wisdom. I do have a couple more questions before we close. One will be, I think, a very practical one for everybody, um, no matter what season of life, no matter what um, you know, part of the journey they're on. Uh, but just as I think everyone can take from what you just said, is that's the reason I mentioned that. The thing that stands out to me, though, and, and I just wanted to ask you is, we have so much conflicting information Mm-hmm. Over the last couple of years, I mean, it could not be more conflicting. So when we talk about information, this is why I make the emphasis, the kind of like subtle, the subtlety underneath all of that is, I understand why people think they can stand on a podium and say one thing because they seek out information. Yet at the same time, if they are truly seeking wisdom, they will understand that they can stand on a podium and have absolutely nothing to say because they don't have all the information and they need something greater than whatever the report is showing them in front of them to actually be able to communicate a message that brings unity instead of division. And so what I'm, what I'm kind of referencing is like, okay, you just look at the pandemic, for example, and you've got all kinds of moving targets of information, Mm -hmm. this super complex situation, Mm -hmm. very complex. How do you have wisdom in a situation like that? Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, when I was sitting there at three in the morning, right, felt it felt the challenge to if I was going to identify that Newsom wasn't doing what I wanted him to do to do something better to create a, a different plan. Um, you know, my my fundamental question was, how do we value the key stakeholders? And it goes back to that first earthquake for me, right? If business is the primary way that God reveals His creativity on the earth, and we have a problem. Who should solve it? Who should we unleash to solve it? Should be businesses. So we should do as little as possible to hamstring businesses who are the agents of problem solving in our society, right? So any then so that so it's a it's what you would call wisdom is what other people might call a core value, and um, and that core value is business thriving. So instead of thinking. COVID as the new factor gets to dominate over that, um, COVID is now a piece of an equation in which the, the solution has to be business is thriving, right? And I think now we can see the data, but we went through a pretty rough experiment on our kids um, that like kids in school should be a factor, right? And so barriers to kids being in school, not a part of my core values. And whatever that looks like, we take those off of the off of the um, plate. And so, right, business is thriving, kids in school, um, you know, those become the core values that then you manage everything else toward. And so then, and, and of course, I think the pandemic also brought into perspective, like we want people who could save lives to be able to save lives. And wherever there were limitations in that, like a limit of equipment, a limit of staffing, that's where I would have stepped in. It was very evident to me that that's really the role of good government is in preparing to make sure that if those other conditions continue to be met, that our focus needs to be on aiding in the piece that we can really aid in in that other way. And I think that um, we just like threw out the equation and made the new equation, right? Zero COVID cases. That's what Newsom did. His management was always to zero COVID cases. It wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was unwise. It was unwise. It did not reflect the wisdom of a leader who can balance the tensions of different core values and could have also achieved superior outcomes for health. 
And I think that's what we're, again, what, what, what we're looking for is somebody who doesn't, and, and one of the threats of politics is that the cheap shot, the five word summary of something becomes your management principle. And, um, and you know, that's what I have to stay careful of. That's what um, we, you know, really, I, what, what I blame him for, what I go after him for. I think he's accountable for not caring with them um, during that time, even though there were a lot of people that were, that, that were, and I know are still are praying for him. Like he is accountable to carry that wisdom. We need him to be wise in the way that he leads us. And if he's not, he does need to leave the office. And how do you, how do you, back to something you said earlier, I think it's a, a great example to just talk through for a second, but you said the idea of um, that kitchen table conversation, the agreement that you'd made, good people don't go into politics. And then you realize later on, wait a second, I can't. <laughs> This is, a, this is a bad plan. Yeah, this is a bad plan. <laughs> and what, I've, what I've learned, what I've learned is that actually good people find themselves in difficult situations when they're incentivized poorly. Yeah. And, and so good people honestly can do bad things uh, or not good things. Um, they're not synonymous, but they could, they could do not good things when they're incentivized the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And Part of uh, part of you know you being able to have wisdom is approaching this whole thing from I'm not here to play a political game. And frankly, I have more to lose than to gain outside you know in the natural. I have more to lose than to gain for doing this whole thing. So that's there's wisdom in that because you, you're incentivized from the standpoint of I'm actually incentivized the other way. So I I have every reason <laughs> to give everything I can. However, to the point of somebody being accountable for having wisdom a thought that comes to mind for me is how do you intend how do you intend and this will be the second to last question but how do you intend to stay accountable in that wisdom in terms of like it can't just be you and right i mean there's got to be yeah. the right people around you yeah. so what have you seen works well for you and other leaders with the right people around them yeah. to hold accountable to that wisdom well, the, my three core team members are not um, from politics. They uh, they were called individually into this or prepared them separately. None of us really understand exactly how that happened, but they're the ones that I spend the most time with, and they keep me accountable. And so, like, I'll give you an example. Last year, um, we decided to make um, make fun of Gavin Newsom and call him a name, right? And one of those people was the one that was like, um, "This is not who you are. You know, it's a cheap shot." Maybe it gets you something, but it's it's not who you are. And so whatever it gets you is worth getting. And um, and that, you know, so what I've done, um, I have donors that are business people. And I've also said, like, you're going to be on my business council. So if you, like, you become a part of my accountability structure, right? And, um, and so, it, it, again, like, uh, we don't really have a system set up. I'm not uh, special interest funded. I'm funded by individuals, by people. Um, but when people donate to my campaign, I consider them, you know, me accountable to them and them accountable to me. Um, but I think the biggest guard is um, really, you know, keeping my family um, close to me. Because when I look at the, in the eyes of my kids at night, if I can answer the question, did I make them proud today? And am I proud of 
seeing their mom? Could they have been with me the whole day, seeing what I did and be proud to be their mom? Mm -hmm. Is this, is that the kind of culture, what I did today that I want to impart to my kids that I want them to carry for future generations? That, that legacy mindset actually um, is the greatest amount of purity for me. And um, in the in the yes. fall of 2021, my, my son, I pulled him out of school for two months because I felt the Lord ask me to just bring him out of school and ask one question. It was really a question for our whole family. It was, what is a good leader? What is a good leader? And that became now, it's our, our only correcting question as parents. When my kids are misbehaving, I just ask them, are you being a good leader? They know what a good mm -hmm. leader is. A five-year-old can, can tell you what a good leader is. A good leader does not serve themselves. They serve other people. A good leader mm -hmm. lets other people go first. A good leader make sure that there's more than enough for other people like uh, that my five-year-old knows that and so um so my accountability is by the people i hold close and that's my team um right now my donors are definitely a piece of that but but most importantly my family that's incredible i'm going to ask you one one actually two more questions i'm going to put this up here right now if you guys want to support jenny ray larue go to jennyrayca.com jenny j-e-n-n-y-r-a-e-c-a Dot com, and you can visit her site there. And um, if you'd like to support her campaign, you can do that there. Is there. What do you need? That's my second to last question. What do you need? Yeah, so um, th this has been a great opportunity to share. Really, it's just two things, media and finances. So media helps us get the message out and then finances help us pay to get the message out. And, um, and so, you know, the message needs to go far and wide in order to win an election. Um, I, the Lord has never promised me that I will win an election, but I don't run to fail. So um, I, my only way that I know how to do things is to give everything in the process. And so um, I, I believe in the winnability of this election. And so that's what your funds go toward. Um, my business is a blessing. It's not the kind of business that can fund a $150 million campaign, um, but it does fund the operations of the campaign. So every gift goes directly toward spreading the message. Um, and that's a, that's a real tremendous investment that a lot of people can make. So if you're able to invest, please do. Thank you for your partnership. But if you have contacts with other folks in the media, send those our way, because the more that we're able to share this as well, it, that's really tremendous. Excellent. Yeah. And word of mouth, guys, even just sharing, sharing this is a simple way you can help contribute, you know, sharing this message on your social media, send it to a friend, family member. Um, if you have contacts and you'd like to reach out to Jenny Ray's team, uh, please go ahead and do that. Uh, I know we have a number of people who have connections, experience, et cetera, that I think might be interested in doing that. And the last question I have is just, we didn't talk about this much, but you've mentioned it several times, been the through line throughout as a mother, as a mm. mother, what would you share as your message? I know as, as running for governor, what would you share as a mm -hmm. message to people today as you're just leaving this conversation? Well, when I had my kids, it was it, all of a sudden, there was reason to live and build beyond my generation. It wasn't for me anymore. And so I think that our kids give us more than, than, um, anything that they could possibly take for us. They, you know, they took my sleep and they took some of my energy, that's for sure. But, but uh, everything that my kids have given me, like uh, my vision, my leadership wouldn't be possible without the gift of my kids. And um, so, you know, I, I'm just really encouraged when I meet families in our Hispanic communities in California, um, when I meet families everywhere, like we are bound together at the heart with, by our kids and by wanting a future for our kids. That's, at least as good, but actually ideally better than what we had. And, um, and so I just would encourage all of us to, um, you know, do what 
we're learning as a family, which is to build a culture of leadership um, in our families that we want our kids to carry and encourage your kids to run headlong into dark places. Um, because uh, my dad wasn't wrong. Good people didn't go into government and they weren't in politics. But what we should have been talking about as a family and where we are now is if there's a problem, like we're the ones that are able to fix it. And so we should be the first on the scene. And, um, and you know, I, I would just invite any of you who want to get to know my family. We have videos up online um, this weekend. Um, and I don't know if you do when this will air um, on your podcast, but this weekend there's a convention. I'll be openly speaking there. I'm speaking all over the state. We have events on our Facebook page. You know, come and find us and get to know us. We've built some real amazing connections with families all over. And um, at the end of the day, we love ice cream just as much as your family does. So we'd love to share an ice cream cone with you. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, Jenny Ray, I know you have a busy schedule. I know you have a full schedule. Very grateful that you chose to make some time to share with us today. Thank and you. Um, yeah, God bless you. You have an incredible story. And more importantly, just you've made with your family incredible decisions um, to live that surrendered life. And, um, and God honors that for sure. So I look forward to hearing more from you as you're on this journey throughout the election and, and supporting you in other ways that we can. So thank you so thank much you. for today. You're welcome. Appreciate you. Thanks, All everybody. Right.